What they were just uh, singing, uh, that question they asked, uh, will you meet me here again? I hope by the end of this morning um, you get the answer to that because that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about. As you think about the last week, so the last seven days or so, Think about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. How, how are you doing? We call it heart check around the house. Do, do a little heart check on yourself. And if one is empty, exhausted, wiped out, frustrated, fearful, nervous about what you were seeing on TV or social media, and, or a 10 on the other end of the continuum is just full, peaceful, joyful, recharged, rejuvenated. One to 10, as you went through the week, kind of where would you say your heart was? Just think about it for a moment there. Um, if you're here with somebody, kind of turn to them and just tell them what your number was, one to 10. And if you are out there listening uh, and you got people around you, just kind of share your number with each other, one to 10. Think about where your, your heart was uh, this week. And um, as you get to that spot, I, I want to just encourage you that it's Sunday. And, uh, and maybe you were a four uh, because of anxiety and because of what you were seeing or what you were reading or maybe what you were experiencing, conflict and relationships around you. Well, man, it's Sunday. We got a chance to get to six or to seven with a little bit of encouragement. And uh, maybe you were high. Maybe you were seven or an eight. We got a chance to get to a 10 because it's Sunday and it's church and we are gathered. Whether it's live stream or live in person, we're together and we get to fellowship and not forsake the fellowship of the believers. It is so good to get to share uh, together church on Sunday mornings. We get to do that and I am very, very thankful for that. So as we look at this series that we've been in. I, I'm pumped about this because the Old Testament is really long. I've got a friend here who's reading through the Old Testament right now, and he's tr trudged his way through some of those difficult books with the stories that don't make a lot of sense sometimes and lineages and all of that. And he's gotten into Samuel and there's, you know, so there's just kind of, it's a long deal. It's a thick book. I don't know about you. I don't even know what they call it now. When I was in school, they called it cliff notes. Like I think there's a new word for it, right? Like these little notes you can get on literature that give you all the tips and the hints. Uh, what's it called? Jose? Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. Now you just use your phone. Spark notes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. But yeah, you can get information on it. But I love the series we're in because that Old Testament is thick and long. And we're going to look at nine sessions, about 20 minutes each. We're, we, we've done two already, and we're going to kind of work our way through what the Old Testament says, what his story is. History is God's story, God's faithfulness through the Old Testament. That's what we're going to look at over the course of this nine-week period. The first week, two weeks ago, Jose talked about creation and how it all started. God created it all. And including in all is us, humans, humankind, people, we were created by God, not just created by him, but we were specifically created in his image. We, we bear his image. So when you got up this morning, I don't know what it was like for you. When you looked in the mirror, did you see something you were excited about? Did you see, you know, the image of God reflected back at you? Or did you see something wrinkles or age or something you were unhappy with or dissatisfied with? I hope you're proud of it because you were God's crafty handiwork. He knit you together in your mother's womb. We talked about that in creation. Not only did he knit you together and create you, everybody around you is created in God's image, regardless of race, ethnicity, Wherever they came from, gender, the reality is we're all created in God's image. That is great news. My friend Ted Cunningham sent me this picture. They'll pop it up on your screen so that you can see it. And uh, it's got these three cute babies. You can never go wrong if you send a picture of some babies. But creation is really about honoring the image of God in man, uh, which means we see every human being as personally autographed by God and highly valuable. 
That's what we learned two weeks ago through the creation story that God created. So the first of these nine elements of kind of notes to get us through the Old Testament was creation. God created it all, created us in his image, created everybody in his likeness, and he autographed each person when he made them. The second thing, last week we moved from creation to the fall. So everything was great. There was intimacy with God. They were hanging out. They were enjoying this great place they lived in uh, with these great jobs, getting to name animals. And uh, Adam and Eve were there, and then the fall comes. So they were given a choice, and a deception entered the picture, and that deception led to a bad choice, and that bad choice led to sin and to fear and to separation from God. And so last week, that's what Bob Moss talked about was the fall. That's the second big element that you need to know in the story of God's faithfulness that is the Old Testament, is that everything was great and we created in his image with the ability to choose, made bad choice. And that bad choice led to consequences. And those consequences were sin and fear and separation. So that moves us to where we are today. Uh, We're going to cover the third installment, and it's the promise. But as we're thinking about that, I want to make sure we catch some of these chapters because Genesis chapter 3 was where, you know, 2 and then the creation's there, and then the fall was in 3. So now there's some chapters. We're going to end up at Genesis chapter 12. So if you want to turn, you can go there. But let's talk about what happens in this interim for just a second. So from like 4 to 11, a lot's going on. Uh, We use the baseball metaphor a lot, three strikes and you're out. You don't have to know anything about baseball to have heard that metaphor somewhere before. Three strikes and you're out. Well, that happens in all, in, in all areas of life. As parents, sometimes we're like, we let them mess up, we let them mess up. And the third time, it's like, no way, there's, there's got to be punishment and consequences. If a person is, uh, man, steals somebody's purse, there's a consequence to that. The first time, that's okay, but go for the judge, kind of work their way through that. The second time, maybe they break into somebody's car. Well, now there's going to be more severe consequences, and that's kind of the second strike. Same judge, you go back because you broke into a house this time. That's the third strike, and believe me, you're going to end up in prison, and there's going to be negative consequences for a long time based on that, because in three strikes, most judges look down and say, you know what, there's a pattern here, and you guys are going the wrong direction. Well, that's what was going on in Genesis, because after the fall, that got... That got us as mankind up to the plate. Well, the first pitch, the first strike was right after that in Genesis chapter 4. There's Cain and Abel, they're brothers, and there ends up being a murder between the two of them. That's a bad deal. And God kind of looks at that and he says, all right, the consequence of that is I'm going to just kind of scatter you guys and make you wanderers. And then you fast forward a couple of chapters like Genesis chapter 7 or so, and, and all of a sudden all of mankind's heart is wicked. And God says, where, where is everybody? Why is everybody so wicked? And so there's a consequence in the flood. And then you go a few more chapters to Genesis chapter 11. And at this point, man decides, you know what we're going to do? We're going to all come together and we're going to build this tower because we want to be independent. We want to show what we're capable of. We don't need God anymore. So God says, all right, there's a consequence to that. He scatters the people and gives them all different languages. Three strikes. So you expect harsh judgment at this point, right? And that's where we get to Genesis chapter 12. You're just ready to open that up and see what God's judgment looked like. I mean, it's the third strike, but God's different than us and his system is different than ours. And and his response to those strikes that happened before was grace. And he showed that grace through his actions toward one man and one family and his descendants in Abraham. He's known as Abram in Genesis chapter 12. That was his name when he was born. And a little later on, uh, God changes his name through, well, there's an oath and he changes his name to Abraham. I'll probably mess up quite a few times and call him Abram or Abraham. I'm talking about the same guy and the Bible is talking about the same guy. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 12, what happens is 
up to this point, there's kind of this macro view of everything. I don't know if you've ever been on the computer and looked at like Google Earth and you know the first thing you pull up and it's got this big picture of, of the world maybe. And then you can kind of start zooming in if you want to and you can zoom in and find your country. So you can find the United States if that's where you're living. And then, and then you keep zooming in and you find your, your state and then you zoom in and find your city and then you kind of got to move around because your cursor got in the wrong spot and you zoom in, you find your street and maybe you even zoom in and find your house. Well, when you, when you do that, that zooming in, that's a good metaphor for what God does here. He's been talking about all the people and all the earth and all the wickedness, and he decides to zoom in on one person, Abram. That's important to keep in mind because honestly, as we live in a world that's chaotic and scattered like it was when they were building that Tower of Babel uh, in Genesis chapter 11, we live in a chaotic, crazy world. There's racial inequality, social injustice, quarantine, mask wear, don't wear mask, bear, all kinds of stuff going on around us. And God zooms in because that's what he does. He zooms in on each one of us individually. Like he's the God of each of our hearts. And so let's look at what happens in this. The third installment of this walk through the Old Testament is this relationship and interaction between God and Abram. Genesis chapter 12 describes it this way. We call it the promise because that's exactly what it is. It's God's promise to us and to everyone through Abram. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Then in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the promise that God makes to Abram is said pretty clearly right there. He says, look, I'm gonna bless all the people of the earth. That's what he says in verse three. All the people, all of us, that's us. I'm gonna bless all the people through you and I'm gonna make you and your descendants into a great nation. Pretty amazing. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody says something pretty clearly, like that's pretty clear to me. But then somebody decides to try to explain what you just heard and the explanation takes like five times as long as the initial statement that was made and you almost end up more confused. Well, I don't wanna do that to you, but I do wanna point to the fact that Paul references this in Hebrews chapter six, verses 13 through 20. And he's clarifying for the Hebrews. And I think there's some clarification in this for us too. But again, what was able to be said in three verses before, we're up to about seven verses here. But Hebrews chapter six, it starts this way. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Paul's saying here, there was nobody greater to swear. When God makes a promise, God keeps it. There's nobody else he has to swear by. Like here, when we're running around down here, it's not an appropriate thing to do, but sometimes we'll say, I swear to God. I swear to God, and whatever we say after that, we're meaning this is true. Like I'm swearing to the highest authority I can possibly imagine. There's nobody higher than God. And it just sound would have probably sounded weird if he said, I swear to myself, Abraham, that I am gonna bless you. So he didn't have to do that. He just made the promise. And then he goes on to say this. Paul says this in the rest of this Hebrews verse. 
God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Why did God make that promise and what does it mean to us? Well, we're trying to flee the world and the craziness and hold on to something that's bigger, that's going to last to eternity. We have a hope set before us and we can be encouraged by the fact that God promised that he would bless us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's the way I pronounce it. I'm not sure if that's right. So this is what happens. God made a promise to Abraham. Abram became Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your people. And uh, did he do it? Absolutely, he did it. So here's what happens, just in case you don't know the history. Um, Abraham followed through, and as he followed through, he ended up having a son. And um, so his son, Isaac, uh, made it for a while and then had a son named uh, Jacob. Jacob was later, his name got changed too, to Israel. And then from Jacob, we get Joseph and on down the lineage till ultimately we get to Jesus. This is the line of Jesus and his family. And so we ultimately were all blessed because of the promise that was made to Abraham. There's about three points that I just want to pull out of this uh, Genesis chapter 12 section because uh, I think it's worth us noting and it has incredible application for us today. The first one is that God chose Abraham and God continues to choose us individually. Uh, that chosen word is significant. God chose Abraham not because he wasn't flawed. He was flawed. If you read a little bit more, he, he made a lot of mistakes. He, even after God said all this to him, Abraham did some really dumb stuff. Um, we all do dumb stuff. But God chose Abraham because he had great faith, not because he wasn't flawed. And it's the same for us. Faith is what allows us to persevere in our connection with the Lord. It doesn't mean that we're not flawed and we don't make a lot of mistakes. Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to figure out if you could get chosen for something? Maybe you applied for a job. Maybe uh, you wanted a promotion and you were hoping you would get picked for that. Uh, maybe on a team. Man, I have a lot of scars from middle school. Um, I was a hefty dude uh, about the size of a basketball and I went out for basketball, the basketball team in seventh grade. Then they had this practice, which I still to this day psychologically is not that healthy, where they actually just post the results right up there on like who made it, who didn't make it. Your name gets put up on the piece of paper uh, outside the gym, you know, after the tryouts. And so I was scared, will I be chosen? Will I not be chosen? Um, I did end up making the, the B team and uh, mostly they had me like throwing towels at the really good players, but I got to um, have a uniform at least. But that chosen point, have you ever been there? You ever, think about it for a second. Have you ever been in a place where you were hoping that you would be chosen for something? It's, it's scary. It can be anxiety provoking. Like, will I be chosen or not? This is the great news about our faith, you guys. We don't have to ask that question. We have all been chosen. We, Jesus died for everyone. Now, we have, to, we have to make a choice. Are we gonna respond to that? But he's already made his choice. He chose us. Not only did he choose us, not only did he choose Abraham, but he pursued him. I mean, choice and then the pursuit. I mean, the, the story throughout the rest of the Old Testament is the, the story of the pursuit of God, of his people. 
of Abraham's descendants and lineage because that's what God does. He pursues. The story plays itself out in the form of a parable in, in Luke chapter 15 where he's talking about sheep. And that made a lot of sense to the guys that were, uh, he was talking to because there was a lot of shepherds and they were pretty familiar with sheep and the, the land that they lived in. And uh, I've told this story before in marriage situations, so you, you may have heard it, but we, we have a ranch out west of here and um, sometimes the neighbor's sheep get over on our property. One time in particular, I remember very clearly, they got over and there was a bunch of them. And uh, so we were gonna go round them up. Our land is rocky, there's cactus, there's thorns, there's mesquite thickets, and it's, you know, we're on four wheelers, some people are on foot, some people are driving ATVs of other kinds, and so there's a bunch of us. And my dad ran, rounds us all up, and he says, we're gonna go get those sheep and push them back through that hole in the fence, and then we'll, we'll patch it. And uh, so we're all sitting around, yes, sir, and we're taking our orders, and he looks at us and he says, now listen, when they get moving, the, the mamas are gonna go faster than the lambs and some lambs are gonna fall back. Let the lambs go. Just keep pushing the sheep through because the lambs will eventually follow. Everybody get that? Yes, sir. He looks at Christina, my wife, and says, do you get that? And she said, yes, sir. And so we spend hours rounding up these sheep. And it's hot and it's nasty. We get them all rounded up. We're kind of closing ranks if you've ever done this behind livestock before and kind of the gaps are getting smaller between us as we're pushing them. Things are going great. And sure enough, just as predicted, a lamb falls behind. And uh, just as we all knew what happened, uh, Christina saw it. And uh, she looked back and she kept going and she kept looking back and she kept going. And eventually it was too much for her. She just turned around to go after that lamb. Well, if you've ever worked livestock at all, you know what happened at this point. In that gap that she left, all the mamas saw her moving, turned around and ran right through the gap back into a 600 acre pasture. And uh, once you start chasing them, they just run further. And so we started the whole process over again. I tell you that whole story to say, when Jesus said in the parable in Luke chapter 15, if I had a hundred sheep and one of them left, I would leave the 99 to go find that one. What he's really saying to those shepherds is, I know those 99 could scatter. I know they won't have a shepherd for a period of time when I go after that one, but that one is that valuable to me. I should tell you at this point in the story, Christina would insert that she was being Jesus-like in the parable and the rest of us were not. But the point of it all is that God loved us so much that he sent his son and then his son loves us so much and their love is so strong that they pursue no matter what, no matter where you go, you will be pursued because you were chosen. That's the first point. I hope you get that and I hope you draw comfort from that, the fact that you have been chosen. The second point from this Genesis chapter 12 promise uh, is that obedience is required. There's, there's obedience required on our, our part. I mean, I mean, God says, I'm choosing you, and what I need you to do is leave the land that you're familiar with to go to another land to start what I have planned for you. Now, Abraham lived in this area called Ur, U-R, and uh, it was a godless, selfish kind of place. The people were pretty terrible, and God said, I need to remove you from that and take you to another place. He ends up sending him to this place called Canaan, this fertile valley, which becomes the center of Israel's history. And honestly, the center of a lot of our history, world history from that point on. It's a significant place. It's worth noting that Abraham was 75 years old 
when God made this promise to him and asked him to leave. I don't know if you've ever lived in one place for a really long time, but if you've developed friendships and all that, it's kind of hard to go. And somehow Abram had to go talk to his wife and say, hey, listen, I know you got a community group and people you love and all that here. And we've got 75 years of history in this house, in this village. But God said, we got to go over there. And she's like, where's over there? He says, I'm not even sure yet. It's way over there. We're going to have to go find it. Well, are we going to have some? I don't know. We're going to have to fight our way there probably. But that's what he did. In obedience, Abram followed through on what God asked him to do. God may be asking you to do something out of obedience. He may be trying to ask something of you right now that doesn't make a lot of sense and in the short term doesn't even seem like it's going to have a great payoff. But in the long term, he has a plan. And that plan is ultimately to bless you. And that brings us to the third point. So you were chosen. Your response, hopefully, will be obedience because God's desire, like it was with Abraham, is blessing. God blessed Abraham with a son, and that son then ended up having another son, and then those generations that led to Jesus, the ultimate blessing for all of us. But think about just Abraham for a second. I mean, so he, he got to have a son. That's a blessing if you get to have a child and a family. He got to end up in a really fertile valley, a cool place to live. That's pretty awesome. And then he left a legacy that still to this day he's referred to as the father of Israel. That's a pretty good life. That's a blessed life if you get to have those things just by themselves. But the real blessing that this passage is telling us about, the real promise that he's giving us is that he will be with us because that's what he was saying to Abraham. He's like, I'm, go I'm sending you, but I'm going too. And you're, my presence will always be with you. The ultimate blessing for all of us is that God is ever present in our lives. It doesn't mean we respond favorably to that all the time. Sometimes we run from him. Sometimes we wall him off. Sometimes we end up in places we shouldn't be. And our shame and our guilt and our sin separates us from him because of our choice, but not because of his lack of presence. The presence carried so far that he actually sent his son to physically be present with us. And then after that physical presence and representation, he sent the Holy Spirit to actively guide us forward. So God's presence um, is the blessing that Abraham received and that we receive. I, I could kind of try to keep explaining that to you, but we've been kind of stuck on this song around our house for a while, really, since about the start of this whole quarantining. Uh, March or so, the Elevation folks, Carrie Job, and those guys came out with this song they call The Blessing. And uh, they did it uh, because they wanted to simplify things down in the midst of chaos. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, everything got stripped away that we normally would seek pleasure and comfort and blessing from. I mean, our jobs, our fulfillment in our work, our social interactions, our sports or our extracurricular activities or the things that we like to watch, all that kind of got stripped away. What were we left with? Well, if we're serious about our faith, we were left with a God who is present in our lives. And uh, that's what they're singing about. So we're gonna, it's significant clip, about three minutes, but I want you to listen to what they say the blessing is. And I want you to listen to the overwhelming presence of God as they describe it in this song. Lord bless you and keep you Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you Lord turn 
There you go. You There's about 12 minutes of that if you want to listen to it all. I think that they say it well, though. You know, the blessing that they sing at the start of that is from um, the book of Numbers, and it's, a, it's just straight out of Scripture. And then they talk about the blessing being His presence, before you, behind you, beside you. Um, I hope that as you think about this passage, if you're there with your family, um, for those of you here that have uh, kids here, I hope you have a discussion because uh, they also sing in the song and we, we see very clearly in this promise to Abraham that generations matter. Uh, that so, social uh, sociologists um, have done this research and they call it the five generation rule that basically says your decisions you make affect the next five generations. Um, it says it right there in the Bible that our decisions will affect our kids and our kids' kids and our kids, you know, on down the line. And we see it through the line of Abraham. So how are you doing? How are you impacting the kids that you've been blessed with? And if you don't have children, the people around you, how are you doing in these three areas? But talk about this. What does it mean to you to be chosen, to know that God picked you? And, and secondly, what does it look like to be obedient to that, well, to, to actually live out a life of forgiveness and compassion and love and mercy to the people around you? And, and, and then what's the blessing? What are the blessings you've received? What do you think the blessing of his presence really means to you? And when things get out of whack and your heart is low on that one to 10 scale, are you quick to turn to him and realize he's present and that he's there to comfort you? Or do you kind of push that to the back burner and you try to figure out how to do this in your own strength? Because if you do, it's going to lead to more anxiety. So I love this promise. And I love that it's the third of these nine installments as we walk through the Old Testament. God is faithful. The good news is he's faithful regardless of our actions. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, that if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself even if we are faithless, even when we are faithless, even when we can't muster it, even if we have doubt, his presence is there. Even if we end up in a bar or a ditch or a conflict or anger or fear, he's there. He chose you and he's present and he wants to bless you. But here's the other option. You, you could be faithless or you could take Abraham's path. See, a little later on in Genesis, in chapter 15, it actually says this about Abraham. It says that Abram, later Abraham, believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Uh, man, I, faith, I get it. I get it. But you have doubts. There, that's okay. Faith and doubt can coexist. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is believing even when it's hard. Uh, why, I, I, why should I have, I don't, you're going to believe in something. You can believe in yourself and see how far that gets you. You can believe in our government and see how much comfort that brings you. Or you can believe in something, the creator who made all of this and who made you, uh, who watched us fail. And instead of responding with judgment, sent his son to die and in grace continues to pursue us. I hope that's the path you choose. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for making it pretty clear. Um, even when it gets muddy for us here, even when conflict surrounds us, even when situations seem out of control, that we can turn to the blessing of your presence and find comfort and peace. Lord, I pray that uh, for those of us gathered here, um, there would be safety.
And there would be a time of reflection as we finish worship. And for those of us listening via live stream, Lord, I pray that there would be some conversation on the couch or around the table. I thank you that you promised you would bless us and you did and you do. And that doesn't mean necessarily we'll be rich or, or have everything that we want in life. It just means that we have the creator of the universe in relationship as our friend and our savior and our guide. And Lord, when we harden our hearts and turn to ourselves and turn away from you, help us to be reminded that our ultimate source of life and comfort is found in the one person who is God, who loves us and always will. Thank you for that gift and that love. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.